Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 51. Today, amongst other news, we're talking about DreamHack Atlanta, IEM Chicago, Blast Pro Copenhagen, CS Summit 3, and we're going to do some family therapy on Phase and Liquid. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Godzilla. Flasher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So first up, a thank you to everybody who reached out after the last episode, the gambling episode. Uh, Thanks for sharing your perspectives and your stories. For some of you, I have a little message at the very end of the episode, so keep listening until the end. Uh, But first off, let's get down to some CSGO news that I wasn't able to cover in that episode. Um, FaZe Clan winning Epicenter 2018, for starters. That was a bit of a surprise for those of us who've been watching their downward spiral uh, before that uh, tournament. They had a bit of a messy first day as well. They were looking very tense and unhappy. Carrigan looked like he was about to cry. But something happened. Something happened overnight, and Carrigan was laughing on stage. Everything was looking pretty stress-free for that team. And they went on to take the trophy by defeating NIP, Liquid, and then Na'Vi in the finals in pure Hulk mode. Now, for those who didn't catch this tournament and simply remember the amazing grand final last year, at Epicenter between SK and Virtus Pro, this was very unlike that. This was straight up domination, and um, they beat them on Mirage and Dust Two. Nico became the MVP of the tournament, and that uh, that uh, it was it was it was fun to see that for Phase fans, but it didn't make me feel too confident about them going forward because the fact that they have to get into some sort of zone or mode is not a good sign for this roster. And just to illustrate sort of why I think this is, it's because it's the difference between like 15-year-old me and a 34-year-old me. So the 15-year-old me had no idea why he felt good on some days and bad in other days. But when I was, uh, now that I'm 34, I have, I have a much better idea. You know, when I was 15, I kind of woke up with uh, a bit of depression or I woke up sort of feeling sluggish or to get to three o'clock and I just feel sad for no reason. And I wasn't quite sure. But when you get to my age, you, you tend to set things up in advance so you have the highest possible chance of having a good day. Like you make it statistically more likely that you will have a good day uh, than not. And if I don't wake up feeling too good, I have a large variety of potential diagnostics I can run. And once I've worked out the cause, I can have a smorgasbord, I can choose from a smorgasbord of potential solutions. So for, for a professional team like FaZe, with all the investment and the support around them, for them not to be able to control their feelings before a game or their emotions and to be slaves to their mood, it's a pretty massive deal. And it seems like it's FaZe's Achilles heel. If they can get a stabilizing factor and replace that heel with, I guess, a keel, some sort of weight, you know, some sort of solid weight at the bottom, they would have a much higher chance, I reckon, of success. And if you remember my interview with Jens Hoffer, the NIP mental coach, that was what he was talking about doing with the ninjas, identifying the disruptive moods that could come up in the match or before a match, tracing them back to their cause and planning strategies to overcome them if they came up. And when I spoke to Carrigan back at IEM Sydney, for those who didn't hear that interview, he said they couldn't get a sports psychologist or they wouldn't get a sports psychologist, I should say, until their results really dropped off. And they'd, even though you know they hadn't been winning tournaments at that stage, they'd been placing pretty regularly. But it sounded a little bit like 
if you're in a marriage and you say, well, we won't see a therapist until one of the kids gets expelled from school or one of the partners gets caught cheating. But if things are getting bumpy, like why not go the extra mile? This is your life. This is the team you're in. This is your profession. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of money on the line. There's a lot of things at stake. And there's been a lot of talk in the community about a roster change on phase, some of which dampened down after this victory. But uh, talk of which has recurred after this victory because they haven't been able to re, re, uh, repeat that uh, these results. So why not bring in someone who can sit the team down and say, hey, look, when you're feeling bad or good, what are the elements leading up to those things? Let's identify them. Let's replicate the good ones and avoid the bad ones. Have you taken a moment to connect with friends and family today? How much sleep did you get? If you got enough sleep, are you feeling slightly sluggish? Have you drunk enough water? You know, giving people a checklist to go through. Um, some of these players are what, like 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Do I have enough fructose in my brain for it to work fast and have the reactions I need when I'm playing up there? Or do I need a banana? You know, and this is how we take control of our mood as we get older. Um, when did I last do some exercise? What calms me down? What cheers me up? And as I said, some of the players are quite young. and I don't expect the phase guys to necessarily know this shit, especially if you spend most of your time simply playing a video game. Uh, you know, most of your woke time, and by woke, I mean basically after the age of, I don't know, 13 or 14. When did I? I feel like my consciousness really sort of only took off after that point. But um, if these guys haven't identified this stuff, then it's something that can be fixed. And and to believe that they're sort of always at the whim of this magical mystery zone that they can't control, then this team is most likely going to end badly or end in a roster change shortly. Anyway, uh, let's move on from phase. We are going to get back to them later on. Um, some of the other news I didn't get to do cover was MSL joining Rogue. MSL was benched in North uh, earlier this month or last month now, actually, and has uh, benched in North. Yet, yeah, has now signed with Rogue. And uh, he was replaced on North by the Rogue IGL Cadian and is taking over as the IGL in Rogue. So there's been a bit of a swapsy. He was taking over from Crystal, who was standing in, and Crystal has not uh, had a bit of a good showing in Northern America recently. You remember he was on Ghost for a bit too. Uh, so I don't know where he's going to end up. It's not like uh, the people clamoring for his services at the moment, I doubt. Um, anyway, uh, MSL obviously had the reins at North for a very long time and in some people's opinions wasn't able to do as much with that team as he should have even though it ended with somewhat of a bang winning DreamHack Stockholm beating Astralis in a best of three um, which some people put down to the fact that he had a month uh, off and he had time to watch 150 Astralis demos in order to anti-strat them um, and a lot of people also point to his um, kicking of Majisk, Cajun B and Config during his tenure at North. Uh, but look, in an interview with HLTV, MSL spoke about how he's never had a team to work with where everyone's basically had their shit together. And it didn't sound like he was completely complaining, but giving a little justification, I think, for some of the community pile on he's been subjected to. And it sounds a little bit like he's saying that he spent most of his time having to develop and teach players the basics of CS instead of having sort of a fully formed team to work with. And this could be true. This, this definitely could be true. It could be that Magus sort of really learned how to play the game under MSL and then has now gone on to thrive under Astralis. But it could also be that, M uh, that MSL's got a bit of a victim complex here. Now, I don't know the guy, and this is one interview I'm going off, but um, 
he, it, I think this could be illustrated by his victory at Stockholm, actually, because when he took the AWP up at Stockholm and just decided he needed to frag out harder and not worry so much about supporting his team and actually be the key to their victory, they, they went ham. And this is a very basic, non-nuanced way to look at it. But the moment he started being a little more selfish, which is what he was accusing indirectly, albeit his players of having been in the last few years, the team actually did quite well. So perhaps part of MSL's leadership had been laying down as a sort of sacrificial, sacrificial, <laughs> sacrificial lamb, um, which you know actually is as a way to absolve yourself of any guilt or blame when your team doesn't do well, as opposed to the sort of leadership where you might say, or MSL might say, I'm going to lead by example and frag the hell out. And if you guys can't keep up with me, you're out of the team. And I think especially if you want your players to have respect for you, uh, this might be the way to do it. Extra especially when you've got the sort of venti-sized egos like some of the people he's been playing with uh, a la Config. Now, MSL said his goal is to make Rogue a top 15 team by March and considering in his words he's always had a top 10 team since 2015... Whether he does this or not will be a pretty clear litmus test of whether he just got lucky with the Danish players he had available to him or he actually has what it takes. So it'll be very interesting to see whether that happens. Although as of this podcast, he has uh, not had the greatest showing at DreamHack Atlanta. We'll get onto that a little more. He has picked up the AWP for that as well. And I was not impressed with his performance on it uh, in the matches I watched. But um, let's move on from the older news. And we'll get onto the newer news. We'll do CS Summit first. Then we will hit uh, Blast Pro, I Am Chicago. And we're going to end with Vitality, who have just won DreamHack Atlanta. So CS Summit 3 happened. And once again, this tournament was full of the usual banter and ankle socks. And was a joy to watch. NRG ended up winning the tournament, beating Optic 3-1 in the grand final. Uh, Breezy was the MVP. He had a rating of 1.34, so went pretty ham. So NRG came first, Optic came second, Big came third, Complexity fourth, Heroic and Ghost fifth and sixth, G2 and Kingwin seventh and eighth. NRG netted themselves 63,000 buckaroos. Now the takeaways from this tournament um, are the further fall off of Complexity since their surprising major run. A continued disappointment from G2, who just look very flat and uninspired, and who have since had a bit of a roster change announced. And we'll get onto that towards the end, but this looks like it was their last gasp with Existence and Smiths. Um, and there was also an interview with Daps from earlier in the year that I'd like to just touch on here, uh, where he was talking about Cirque's movement. Now, Cirque, if you're not if you're not that boned up on NRG, Cirque is the AWPA, and he was talking about when he had the chance to pick basically whatever AWP he wanted in NA. And he looked at Cirque's demos and he looked at the demos of people like Wardell. And um, and he chose Cirque. Now, the reason I brought this up is because I've trumpeted Wardell as the second coming of Christ on this podcast. And Daps was considering Wardell, but uh, it was the movement of Cirque that convinced him Cirque was the superior player. The intelligent movement, the counter-strafing and cover. And I think you should definitely check out, if you are an AWP, you should check out Cirque's demos because he is pretty intelligent in the way he moves. And now, checking out people's demos can often, or pros demos especially, can often not be uh, that helpful, especially if their aim is just what makes them so good. 
But I think if you're like me and you're a bit roomy in the eyes, but you've got a bit of rheumatism setting in, a bit of uh, arthritis happening in the old wrist bones, uh, and your aim is never really going to make you uh, a superstar, uh, then checking out people who have more intelligent uh, movement than you can actually be quite helpful. And I think Cirque has that sort of movement. And uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the ways you can really tell how intelligent he is playing is by comparing him with an opera like Draken. Draken, who has recently fallen from grace and ended up uh, ignominiously in Red Reserve, had a habit of taking a shot and then rushing forward and trying and taking another shot. But if you compare his orping with Cirque, Cirque will take a shot and then take the smoothest, shortest route towards cover and then go for another shot. And it's quite... Um, it's quite impressive how he does it. Now, one other thing that uh, Daps has uh, let spill in a recent interview, actually, I think it was the interview after he won this tournament, was that uh, NRG are severely lacking in terms of support staff. They don't have the uh, sponsorship currently, I would assume, to pay for the uh, the sort of circle or the, um, what do you call it? The posse of uh, nutritionists and psychologists and whatnot. Um, hopefully, winning this tournament gives them some more uh, pool for sponsors and they can afford someone to help them out mentally but you know what if daps is listening to this podcast uh which is highly unlikely but uh if he is here are some freebies and um i'm offering this obviously not in the slim chance that he's listening to it but um perhaps some of you guys out there who are fielding teams playing regular pugs might get a bit out of it um now it's fairly common knowledge that confidence from a win leads to more wins right but uh, no one really speaks about what that confidence is. But studies done on the effects of testosterone on subjects playing video games by evolutionary psychologist David Geary have very intriguing outcomes. If a group of friends teams up and wins against strangers in an online first-person shooter game, their testosterone goes up, which is what basically what we can call the winner effect. There's a few other factors that go up, but it's testosterone primarily. And the top scoring player getting the highest testosterone boost uh, in that team. So this confidence, this idea of confidence is actually sometimes basically somewhat... <laughs> I can't fit any more qualifiers in there, but basically we're talking about testosterone. Um, and now if the same... What's interesting he found in the study is too, is if the same friends play individually against each other, the testosterone drops for everyone, which Geary calls the loser effect. And the player scoring highest in this game against friends gets penalized by the highest testosterone plunge. So evolution punishes backstabbers, basically. We've evolved so that we will cooperate. And these effects actually happen in the real world regardless of gamification. Uh, it is a fact of life in all human relations. I'm reading this from a uh, little article from gamification.gg. And the use of game mechanics could be used to manipulate them for a desired effect. For instance, competing against colleagues probably lowers the performance of your entire team since the brain punishes competition with friends. So in order to enhance a team by fostering cohesion and a collective winner effect, it is better to compete as a team against other teams of strangers, perhaps uh, online, perhaps on land, whatever it is. So if you are practicing, Mr. Daps, for CS Summit 4, better to practice with your full team against another full team. Don't even do DM against each other. Uh, don't shoot each other uh, in the warm-up. Don't shoot each other in the head in the warm-up. You are actually potentially lowering your testosterone. Just get out there as a team 
even even if it's the lightest practice day off and make sure that you are facing uh, other teams. And I think that would even apply to like if you're playing FPL. If you're playing FPL, don't play against the guys in your team. Make sure that you're always playing against other teams. Um, but there are other ways to get this boost without having to win the first map of a best of three, right? You don't have to just get this uh, testosterone boost from, say... Uh, yeah, from from that from that victory of, of your team versus another team, and this is a little bit off topic topic here, but um, one of the ways you can get a testosterone boost is to talk to an attractive woman for five minutes. When a man talks to an attractive woman for five minutes, their levels of testosterone are raised by fourteen percent, and their anti stress hormone cortisol is raised by forty eight percent. So that is huge. If you're stressing out before a big match, if you're stressing out before a big exam. If you're daps and you're stressing out before the CS Summit Grand Final, look around for the nearest hottie, chat her up for five minutes, <laughs> talk about anything. Talk about the Norwegian leather industry. Get it going. Get the uh, sentences happening back and forth, subject, verb, object, and then get back on the server with an extra 14% testosterone and 48% cortisol. Now, the more astute among you may have noticed Astralis have killed two burns with one stone by hiring an absolute babe as their team psychologist. <laughs> so that was a bit of a ridiculous section. Let's move on to Blast Pro Series Copenhagen 2018. And this was won by Na'Vi with Simple leading the charge. They won themselves $125,000 this was another two-day tournament like last year and was a banger of a production. Actually, it was looking like a good run for Ninjas and Pajamas, who tied with FaZe, beat Astralis, MIBR, and Cloud9, but ultimately could not defeat Na'Vi in the grand finals, going down 2-0. Simple was the MVP with a rating of 1.43, continuing his form as a monster. And uh, as I said, this is always well-produced, this tournament, uh, even though it's only the second year. They're setting somewhat of a precedent, uh, precedent a uh, tradition. A uh, high bar, I should say. The Danish Prime Minister came out, looking like a bit of a teddy bear, addressed the players, saying, you are truly sportsmen and your days of explaining are over, which was beautiful, except that he went on to call uh, the whole thing e-gaming, so perhaps the days of explaining are not entirely over. Uh, The three matches being played at once was mildly stressful, uh, but um, for some reason, the games are always fantastic. And uh, I think Blast Pro has the sexiest, best graphical overlay out of any of the tournaments. And one of the reasons is that for those of us living in the third world country of Australia and dealing with uh, basically a two megabit download speed, where we need to step down to 360p resolution because our flatmate wants to open Gmail, the legibility on the usual UIs from the usual tournaments just goes to absolute shit and you can't see the player names or the buy or the money. Whereas the blast one always holds up and I think it has to do with the gradients in the bars as opposed to the light blue and yellow from usual tournaments, which are hopeless. Uh, one of the aspects that I love about Brass Pro is it has a one-on-one uh, pro standoff, which happened this year between Cloud9 and Astralis. And that means each pro, each player just plays each other individually with a different gun on a 1v1 map. And that's a lot of fun. It means we got to see Flusher go head-to-head with Glaive, Device go head-to-head with Automatic, and so on. Uh, there's not much more to say about this tournament. Na'Vi got revenge for vom- bombing out of the Major and E-League before that. But like FaZe before them, it seemed like they just simply had confidence on the day because they did not replicate these results uh, after this tournament whatsoever. Speaking of after this tournament, let's move on to IEM Chicago. <laughs> 
So I Am Chicago was won by Australis, and they beat Team Liquid in the grand final 3-0. Liquid put up a good fight in the first map, Mirage, but then absolutely crumbled on Yukon Inferno. Device was the MVP for the tournament with an HLTV rating of 1.15 in 16 maps. And FaZe were looking set to continue their dominance from Epicenter, as I was saying, where they lost their mojo halfway through a game against Liquid. Literally halfway through the game. They dominated Liquid on the first map and then absolutely shat the bed on the next two. This despite having beaten Astralis in a best of three. So other other stories with uh, IEM Chicago were the resurgence of Fnatic. They were looking absolutely banging against Astralis and nearly beat them in a best of three. Uh, that's obviously the firecracker of Brolan, who's been uh, stuffed up the buttholes of uh, JW and Crims. Perhaps this is a particularly more flammable firecracker than we were expecting. Uh, Navi bombed out hard, coming in last. So going from winning Blast Pro to coming in last suggests, like I said, they have the same problem as FaZe, not really having control of their emotions. Uh, MIBR... Did not do well at all as well. They came in dead last, tying with Na'Vi, Renegades, and Avangar. And surely this is a bit of uh, a death knell for the roster experiment. The three Brazilian players and the two North American ones. They've spent spent well on the expensive uh, coach in Yanko. But uh, it does it does make me think of an old podcast where I mentioned... I forget what the tournament was, but it, it, there was a... Um, a coin toss at the start of a match between Fallen and Stewie2K, both representing their teams. And I did remark at the time how much more Fallen was dominating. Just the atmosphere. He felt like Mike Tyson. He was the alpha male and Stewie2K was sort of nervous, uh, overshadowed, and Fallen was as cool as a cucumber. And, uh, you know, magnanimous and funny, and yet he was the silverback in the room. And... If that was the sort of relationship that uh, Stewie2K went to MIBR with, then I can kind of see why this experiment uh, didn't work. Because if you idolize someone too much or you put them on a pedestal like that, uh, you know, look, that, 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 sort of, that sort of relationship might work when, when Fallen's feeling that confidence, but his confidence had already dropped, if you recall, before they had the transfers from um, NA, from Stewie2K and from Tarek. SK had not had good results. They had a bit of a slump. And I'd remarked on a couple of podcasts that Fallen was not looking his usual happy and focused self. Anyway, let's move on from uh, MIBR because it's, you know, until something happens there, there's not much point in speculating. LDLC came out of this uh, tournament looking very good. They hadn't been on my radar for a while, but they put up a good show, winning best of threes against North, NRG, and Renegades. And they almost took phase in a best of one. Now, the device MVP medal will be, uh, how should we say it? Honored with a bit of a um, collage of his best plays from this tournament, which will come towards the end in our Player of the Week segment that's been put together by Josh. So keep listening for that. In the meantime, let's move on to DreamHack Atlanta. Now, this one is hot off the press as of two and a half hours ago. Vitality, the new French roster, has won DreamHack Atlanta. And uh, if you didn't catch, was it two episodes ago, where we were talking about the new Vitality lineup, um, they are Happy, NBK, who's the IGL, uh, RPK, 
Zaiwu and Apex. And they did not have a great start in this tournament. They lost the opening match to Rogue and were basically looking like another French remix disaster. Uh, but they soon started cooking and they beat Complexity in the semis and Luminosity in the grand finals. And Zaiwu is the big takeaway from this event. If you are not aware of him, you may have seen him in the show match at the London Major. He is the new French player who also won the MVP for this tournament. And the hype train appears to be real. His crosshair placement is absolutely bonkers. If you've seen his ace against Luminosity on Overpass, I believe it's trending as we speak on Reddit. Rush to the computers and check it out. And if you want to see a very dominant performance overall, get on board Train. Train was their second map versus Complexity, and he swung it around. Uh, Other storylines out of this tournament was the dismal showing of Envy. If you recall, this is where Nifty has gone. As the French org tries to get a foothold in NA, it seems like they are currently stumbling hard as, well, I didn't exactly predict it, but I wasn't alone in uh, not exactly being excited about it. Uh, Rogue had a pretty lackluster beginning with MSL. He looked a bit headless. Uh, sorry, the team looked a bit headless, I should say. And I think I might have mentioned this earlier on the podcast, but he was missing a ton of shots with the orb. So it doesn't bode well, but who knows? Give, give him some time, first land, and he just got into the team. Fragstus was playing with HS as a stand-in, so they they came last, but that doesn't really tell us too much about their current positioning. And in terms of the other teams involved, it's very nice to see Henny, Lucas, and Steele back together playing at a LAN, but Luminosity didn't totally impress me. They seem to have the same issues they had back in Immortals, where... Once sort of the cat gets amongst the pigeons and one player on the other team really starts to dominate, they lose they lose their focus a bit and they lose their team play a bit and this excitement sort of starts to generate. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen um, like a, a popcorn on a, on a saucepan or you put marbles on a trampoline and bounce next to it. It starts, the players start to get jittery and, and jump about the map a bit too much and uh, they just sort of get picked apart. Um, Ghost, I expected to make the grand finals actually over Luminosity, but in the end had a bit of a disappointing tournament, uh, especially for players like Wardell, um, a.k.a. Jesus uh, H. Christ. And finally, Complexity, um, who, as I said in uh, Summit, continue to make one wonder whether they will rise above Tier 3 as they beat Envy and E United in this tournament, but weren't strong enough to take Vitality so there's still legs there. There's still legs with um, complexity, but they're looking slightly gangrenous. So as I said, I think the biggest takeaway from this tournament is that uh, considering G2 have now fallen lower than my granddad's balls, it's lovely that we have a new French team to cheer for and the emergence of Vitality is an exciting prospect indeed, as is the emergence of a new superstar potential talent like Zai Wu. So we had a dumpster load of roster changes since the last episode, and one of the first ones we should talk about is Cooper. Now, if you're not aware of who Cooper is, Cooper is one of the players on a team called Swole Patrol. Swole Patrol are, I don't think they're pros, they're amateurs, I guess, but they've played at uh, a couple of tournaments recently. And Cooper plays with his brother, Freakazoid, if you don't know who Freakazoid is. Freakazoid is a... Uh, a player who gained a bit of prominence when he was playing on Cloud9. He works out a lot, so uh, he's quite memorable visually. Uh, but he was also known as Bullyzoid for a bit of a scandal where he was bullying Simple online. 
uh, in a Twitch chat or a Twitch stream that was captured by somebody and then went all over the internet, which forced an apology from him. Anyway, Freakazoid, uh, when he learned that Cooper had changed teams and had accepted the offer from E United and was going to leave Swole Patrol, apparently got quite angry because he'd made some sort of agreement with his brother that they would go pro together and tweeted out, nothing to say about my brother other than money over loyalty. Just another CS bum playing for paychecks and themselves. Good luck to you, quote-unquote, brother. (laughs) So it's nothing like airing your dirty laundry with your brother on Twitter as a demonstration of stratospheric levels of emotional intelligence. Now, Freakazoid is reported to leave Swap Patrol after the departure of Cooper. I believe he's still with Swap Patrol as of this podcast. But stay tuned (laughs) as the drama unfolds. Now, Dimasik. Dimasik, the Kazakhstani player, has been signed by Gambit. He was on the bench for four months with Avangar, but uh, he's uh, he's now been snapped up by the boys in blue. Uh, he has a 1.1 rating. He's 22 years old. Apparently, he's going to be the IGL, which thank goodness uh, that they're getting an IGL because it's been a while. Uh, Axile has also been signed by Gambit. He's a 16-year-old with a 0.99 rating, and he's been playing on a team called Five Balls. Um, he had a trial earlier on Flipside uh, earlier this year on Flipside. He's Russian, so we've got three Kazakhstanis and two Russians on Gambit, and uh, this is great. I'm I'm glad Gambit is not uh, disappearing from the scene as they seem to have threatened to have done uh, earlier this year. And look, one of my primary reasons, obviously, is that Dosha creates memes, and secondly, they have the best merch. Let's be honest. I'd rather wear a Gambit um, bomber jacket than a Cloud Nine jersey with white and light blue any day. Um, uh, just a little note here before we move on to more roster changes. Let's just have a little moment of silence for Seized, who was the previous IGL for Gambit, had a little stand-in role uh, run that went absolutely dreadfully. And he, uh, I thought he was blowing in the wind, but when I did Google him, he's with a team called Under Pressure. So, uh, look, there's a guy who's come second at two majors and is out there in the ether, under pressure apparently, um, moment of silence for him. <clears throat> now, Bialy has been released from Virtus Pro. Finally, they've cut ties officially, and he will continue to play with the Polish mixed team, Mixtura, who put up a good showing in the Europe Minor Open qualifiers thus far. They beat Red Reserve, Imperial, and LDLC. <sighs> so the heart and soul of this podcast stays in CSGO for now. Hellraisers have confirmed the acquisition of Hobbit. Hobbit has joined the Hellraisers roster. Hobbit, obviously, the player from Gambit. That was following a two-month period where Gambit were putting him on their transfer list, and he has replaced Bondic on Hellraisers. Bondic seeming like a bit of a human pinball at this point, uh, but actually probably just because he had a little stint in China on Tai Lu, which I'm still, I still have not worked out why that happened in the first place. Anyway, I think this is a fantastic acquisition for Hellraisers because they've basically just been relying on their simple and electronic, aka Issa and Woxic. And when Hobbit gets going, he's a bloody fantastic rifler. So now they've got another chunk of firepower on that team. And the first offline event for Hobbit with Hellraisers will be Supernova CSGO Malta. So if you're a Middle Earth fan, get your eyeballs glued to that one now uh we did actually talk about vitality earlier this podcast without really focusing on one of the biggest roster changes or the most shocking ones i should say since the last podcast and that is that faculty stepped down as their coach and that was only after a month if you recall i did a little bit of a 
bio on faculty brought you guys up to speed for those that missed it he's a 1.6 player and uh, he wrote a couple of books actually about coaching but vitality uh, didn't qualify for the minors so I mean, I probably should have noted that when they won DreamHack Atlanta because that was a bit of a surprise considering their very shaky start. But obviously, their performance at the minors uh, didn't bode well for what um, old mate faculty's uh, fortunes. And uh, perhaps he needs to uh, go back to writing books. Continuing on the French scene, Haji and Scream have been added to 3D Max roster for the ESL qualifiers. It's only a temporary move. But it has fueled further uh, rumors of Lucky and Jax moving to G2. I believe this has not been confirmed at this point. But Lucky and Jax were, of course, two players on 3D Max who will be replacing Smiths and uh, Existence. So that particular experiment, which I think is almost a year old now, I'm not quite sure, uh, was obviously a bit of a disaster. And Lucky and Jax, who are young, promising French bucks, hopefully will turn that team's fortunes around and, uh, you know, at least be the palm leaves that can be waved in the face of Kenny S. Now, this new team, this new uh, 3D Max team, are going to be competing in the Bucharest Gaming Week Invitational on December 8th and 9th. So if you're excited about seeing the Ed Shot machine once again in action, glue your peepers to that particular tournament and um absolute let's go into the asian scene right now because absolute who were a japanese team who are a japanese team who the core of whom have been together since 2015 they have left their premier sponsors scars and uh looking for a team now a few of these guys as i said have been playing together for quite some time a couple of them are new one of them replaced i think the, the player poem earlier this year and they seem to have improved actually a lot in the last year. They came fourth recently at the Asia Minus for London, losing narrowly to Renegades. So these guys were going somewhere. It's unclear as to why they have moved away from SCARS in the first place. And if you are a Japanese language speaker, I would urge you to go to the SCARS website because they have actually quite a, uh, a detailed in-depth guide for various parts of playing CSGO. For instance, they have a whole blog post on how to set up your config uh, and how to set up your crosshair, etc., just through your um, what's it called? Your config thing, your thingy me thing, your thingy me thing at the th at the start of the thing, but it starts up before you start the actual thing. Uh, so if you are uh, yeah Japanese speaker, and if you're not, you can uh, get Google to translate the page, and they've got some fun resources there. Who knows if they'll stay up for much longer now they don't have a CS:GO team? But good luck to those boys in finding a new team, uh, a new sponsor, I should say. Moving back to the Swedish scene, a Swedish player Jazar has become a free agent after his contract with Valiance expired as of Wednesday. Valiance are ranked 64, so who knows where he can go at this point. Uh, that doesn't bode well for his career. His time at the squad didn't actually very last very long. Uh, I don't really know anything about Jazar, but if you're listening, Jazar, get in touch. Tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. Tell us what you're eating for dinner and... Uh, Tell us how much you press at the gym. So just before we get onto some family therapy with Phase and Liquid, we have a, a couple of announcements that have happened regarding tournaments next year. For my Australian listeners, IEM Sydney is happening once again. ESL have announced it's returning in 2019. The prize pool will be $250,000, and once again, eight teams will be invited, and the rest will be filled through online qualifiers. This is going to happen May 3rd to the 5th in Kudos Bank Arena. You can get your tickets now. 
and I suggest you go to the nearest op shop and buy yourself some cheapo, some dungarees, some um, some loafers, uh, some sort of uh, old school Air Jordan, perhaps just something that will hold your beer sufficiently uh, for a sufficient time for you to drink it um, out of. And now the uh, Shanghai is also going to be hosting Star Series I League Season Seven. This is another tournament that has been announced. This is going to have a five hundred thousand dollar prize pool. So that's two IEMs in one. Um, and this is going to run from March 30th till April 7th at an as-yet-undisclosed venue in Shanghai. And I'll just take a wild guess that it won't be held at the bar Zapata's in the French concession. Because last time I was in Shanghai for New Year's Eve, my best mate and I basically destroyed that joint uh, when he managed to hijack the stereo and put on Shota Soko. Without giving away too many details, let's just say whatever digital silo the Chinese government uses to house my social credit score blew up sometime between midnight and 3 a.m. Now, there's going to be 16 teams in this tournament, with 13 slots being filled through invites in the last three places, determined by qualifiers in NA, Europe, and Asia. And if you recall, this year the winners were Entz, who beat Vega Squadron in the finals. So let's get on to a bit of family therapy here. I'm probably not going to be very good at explaining this section, but basically I'll be doing a bit of reading about the history of family therapy. And uh, as per my usual... Um, Instinct, for some reason, it um, it became the lens through which I looked at the CSGO teams. It brought primarily FaZe and Liquid, who had a bit of uh, controversy, I guess, in the last month or two. Liquid uh, choked pretty hard against Astralis in the finals in uh, IM Chicago. And that's become a bit, a bit of a pattern for them. And FaZe were up and down in the last month. And that has also become a bit of a pattern for them. And so I think one of the ways we could look at fixing these teams is to think about them as a family. And one of the ways we can think about them as a family is to is to divide the participants up into family roles. And uh, I think the best way to do this is to consider the coach as the mother and the IGL as the father and everyone else as the children, probably with the eldest child being the most valuable player and the you know youngest child being the least valuable player. And when I say valuable, I mean you know on, on a generally agreed market market score. So for for instance with FaZe it would be uh, Robin as the mother IGL traditionally Carrigan as the father and everyone else's children so uh, Nico as the eldest child then Guardian then Rain then Olaf Meister now let's imagine a scenario in which the kids are dissatisfied with the father's behavior which is obviously what we saw earlier this year when uh, Carrigan was uh, asked to not be the IGL anymore and this is quite um this is quite, quite, uh, what should I say? It? It's quite, um, it's not unusual for families for this to happen. Uh, and in, in this scenario, this is often the mother role who has lost confidence in the father role and will be, and will start communicating more directly with the eldest son and create a dyad that can destabilize the father's authority. And it's, it's not, not clear to me that this is exactly what happened in phase, but often we see the eldest child become the spokesman for the troubles that the either the mother is having or the younger, quieter, ironically, sometimes more secure siblings uh, can be having. And uh, we did see this in, in phase because Nico was then appointed as the IGL, whether it was self-appointed or not, I'm not sure. 
Uh, and when when the when the eldest child's criticisms bear out and the team has gone down, then he has effectively usurped the father's role, whether it's with his cooperation, the father's cooperation, or without. And in a scenario like this, it's very common for the father to have been willfully ignoring certain problems in his relationship with the rest of the family. And this is usually the mother. And when we consider the fact that a couple of phase members confirmed after the roster swap between or the roster swap, the role swap between Nico and Carrigan, that when Nico stepped into the IGL role, he immediately began consulting Robin Moore, aka bringing the mother into the dialogue. It actually plays along with this observed theory in family therapy very well. And then the father, who's sort of chastened at failing to be this strong, all-knowing alpha in charge, now has little to do except sit back with a sort of nervous hope, both that the eldest son is going to succeed and also that he won't succeed and the family will turn to him once again for guidance. And the latter scenario would require an eventful sort of emotional reunion with the mother figure, so between Carrigan and Robin, and the eldest son, a.k.a. Nico. So for that to happen... Um, there would well there are two scenarios in which it happens and two scenarios in which it happens for families as far as I can tell and one of them is an intervention with extended family and community and neighborhood around the family so it might be for instance with FaZe you get all the assorted members of FaZe who surround this team managers uh, you know um, agents uh, player agents um, wives even perhaps I'm not sure um, owners of FaZe and then you discuss what it is, what is going on with an experienced mediator. Mediator, Because the other alternative is that there's a, some sort of tragedy that binds everyone together. And obviously, it doesn't need to be someone gets hit by a car, but it could just be that there is a roster change. And that creates what we commonly think of as a honeymoon period, which is not all the players feeling so good that they have a new team. It's the players binding together in the uh, shock of missing or losing or the death of one of their players. Uh, the metaphorical death, obviously. And that creates an extra cohesion for a period of time. Um, The other alternative for Carrigan is that he, you know, now that he's been nominated as a scapegoat, which, let's face it, it usually happens once the eldest child has gained this sort of coalition dyad with the mother, which is quite possibly what happened with MSL, as a side note. Anyway, the other alternative is that the, the father will continue to foot the emotional bill for the lack of stability in the family. So Carrigan still gets the blame for FaZe and he will be put on the market. Um, and at that point, I think if you are following me here and you haven't sort of uh, lost, gotten lost like maybe I have in my own pop psychology nonsense, uh, but at this point, the best place that Carrigan could end up is on Liquid. And this is where Liquid comes in, into the story because I think he should be replacing Nitro, if anybody, in any team. And this is because Liquid... Unlike FaZe, which has traditionally been a patriarchy, if you take the roles that I gave you as a given, um, this is because Liquid is actually a matriarchy and the mother figure, the coach, Zeus, is actually the one calling most of the shots and, in inverted commas, the alpha male. And Nitro is sort of the gentler, for one of a less, uh, you know, limp-wristed uh, analogy. He's the stay-at-home dad. Because this team has all the hallmarks of being a matriarchy. There's almost no one with a sort of standout personality on the team. Um, everybody sort of seems to be quite equal. And that's, that's, that's a hallmark of a matriarchy, which is built on equality and the flattening of outcomes. Now, if Zeus and Carrigan were to work out a way, Zeus is obviously Z-E-W-S, 
if they were to work out a way in which Carrigan was given the status that he had on phase and respect from the team that he needed for his ego, while Zeus actually did a lot of the real work, like scheduling and planning practices, anti-strat strategies, etc., then they could actually have an amazing partnership. But this would require a fair amount of maturity on Carrigan's part and probably Zeus's, but it could actually be the partnership that took the regularly choking and therefore probably low self-image liquid okay, twist, Elysian, Naf to the next level. And and this, if this is sounding like absolute nonsense to you, we've got to remember, it's our fathers who give us self-esteem. It's their playing and joking and roughhousing that bolsters our feelings of self-worth. And it's not that mothers don't provide all sorts of important and amazing things, but that in particular is the role of a father, and that's what's lacking in liquid. Plus, the coaches can't talk during the match, right? So it is the father figure who has to be giving that moment-to-moment, play-by-play, encouragement, direction, and leadership. Now, as for who would replace Carrigan on phase, that depends on whether Nico wants to keep calling or not. And the only way he would stop calling at this point is to get an IGL he respects even more. Which, look, by the way, just to walk it back a little bit, whether he should stop IGLing or not isn't a given. Apparently, he's had one of his best years of all time. Uh, this year and it's not clear to me whether IGLing has gotten in the way of his fragging ability at all although it may have gotten in the way of their consistent performance anyway uh, so if he was to get an IGL it would have to be someone he really respected and there are two IGLs currently I could see him maybe respecting enough and one is Zeus from Navi Z-E-U-S or Fallen from MIBR and neither of those look likely in our lifetimes so now he needs his own sort of taco figure basically if he's going to keep uh, IGLing I think the team needs his own taco figure and he specifically needs his own sort of taco figure who can do all the bitch work that Carrigan is currently doing throwing smokes throwing flashes dropping guns this needs to be someone high in agreeableness someone who's ultra friendly who just wants to please others and, you know, there'd be worse suggestions than the other Nico, in fact, who's just joined North from a pretty impressive stint on Heroic. Um, I would say probably he's still got more to prove than, you know, than this kind of role would require. He's still quite young. So perhaps you could get someone a little more experienced, someone with good communication. And there is a perfect candidate who would have been amazing for this, but you know what? He just got signed by Cloud9. And of course, I'm talking about Kiyoshima. And uh, this podcast has come out mere days after he was sound, signed by Cloud9. Sound by Clyde, Clyde9. That's what my body is trying to say. Signed by Cloud9. Uh, so look, you know, Kiyoshima, Stiko, they both could have been good options. Uh, that or FaZe just goes absolute balls to the wall. Uh, gives a middle finger to everybody and gets snacks as their fifth. And now it's time for Player Player of of the the Week. Player of this week is Device, a.k.a. Nikolai Reeds. We are a little bit behind the eight ball, but we want to honour him for his amazing performance at IEM Chicago. His stats from the 5th of November to the 13th of November were 1.15. He won the MVP at Chicago, and he equaled the highest rating in the team to Dupree. His best map was the second map against Mouse Sports on Nuke. He had 33 kills to 16 deaths and a rating of 1.7. He is now tied with Kenny S. and Getright for 10 MVP awards in his career and it's possible he will gain more within the next events this year, such as ECS Season 6 Finals, 
and the ESL Pro League Finals. But for now, let's hear a bit of Device going ham at Chicago. He needs to live here. Device with a P250, though. Good trades across the map, and another one from Device to drive by. Who else to get a straw into this round? Ten seconds left of the clock. They want to stop this plant. Nitro might be the only one who could do it now. It's twist. Eight seconds left, and he's going to be dropped. Device, three kills in the pistol round. That because he's got to be so careful with the smokes the way they are. First kill goes to Bree. Device lines it up. Perfect shot as they run by. Flashes out. This could be it. It's Chris Solo. Device just taking it all. Dupree. Inside with access. Device this time gets to where the secret stairs. He's got two. Same place that he found the kills with the AUG. This time in a much different circumstance. They want to challenge it. Smoke down to extinguish the flames. They've got a babysitter at the top of the stairs. Device does not need to repeak on this. He still manages to find Sticko jumping through the smoke. He should be there round. Oh, but Device is in the back, and you can do so much damage from here. You can see he can hide from the follow-up players. He gets another one. And Astralis! A two on five, and they finish it off! Uh, now, as I said at the start of the episode, I had a lot of feedback uh, from the last app, especially about addictions, and I'm going to talk more about them in upcoming episodes, uh, specifically some recent thoughts about comparative addictions and where we draw the line between an addictive behavior and a, and a behavior that simply just gives us a dopamine hit. For instance, the idea that guys get addicted to video games more often than girls, the way girls might get addicted to Instagram more often than guys, both the digital interactions that train our brains on a sequences, uh, or a sequence, I guess I should say, of dopamine feedback, and it distorts our framing of the real world and our relation to it. But we will wade into that later. So regular listeners would know that I quit gaming about a month or six weeks ago. I can't actually remember how long ago it was. Maybe, I'm not sure. Time has become immaterial, but... um. Yeah, so I quit gaming. I, I, I uninstalled all the games off my computers. I uninstalled them from my phone, uh, and that was great, and it had a positive effect. But I did notice that other habits rose up to take the place of gaming and habits which I didn't want to indulge in just as much as I didn't want to indulge in gaming, for instance, like eating too much chocolate. Um, so what I've done now, uh, two weeks ago, is quit everything. Uh, I've quit cigarettes, sugar, alcohol, coffee, caffeine, bread, masturbation, porn. Uh, during the workday, I do not look at Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I don't have any screens near my bed. And I have a little list of things that I do instead. I read a book, I go for a run, I work out, I do a drawing, I make some art, I make some music, I call a friend, I write a letter to somebody, I clean, I cook, I think about how I feel in 10 years when I've spent my 30s well. I do something nice for someone else. I eat some fruit, I write, I plan for the future. And, you know, having this little checklist of things that I can do, I don't have it, you know, I don't constantly refer to a piece of paper, but I have it in my mind, has actually been quite successful. And while the first three or four days were a little bit hard because I was quite sluggish, primarily because I'm used to propping myself up with like two or three cups of coffee in the day, uh, what I found was that I started getting more sleep and I started getting better sleep. Um, and I no longer get that sluggishness during the day. I didn't get any headaches. Uh, and I've had the time to actually sit with my thoughts for a while and think them over because I actually believe that 
most of the answers for our problems are kind of somewhere in our subconscious anyway because let's face it uh, you know we're not talking about like actual physical life problems we're not talking about uh, you know cancer or uh, a death in the family that's made you feel sad when there's issues that are in our own brain and our own behaviors we've also got the answers we've created those issues right so we've also got the answers to solve those issues so having uh, quit all these things has given me enough time to think about some of my issues and solve them myself which is amazing because it's the first time i've done that in a very long time and i feel like i'm engaged with life again it hasn't actually solved my problems uh, for me at all but i'm looking at my problems uh, very clearly and you know what i feel like more capable than i did uh, previously and i think that's probably the biggest change that has happened i actually feel like if something goes wrong today or something happens to me today that i don't know how to deal with straight away i'm going to be fine with it i feel like i can take on almost any challenge whereas before when i was sort of running on a low level of addictions you know low level in terms of some people's addictions but i guess quite constant and uh you know nagging the there was there were very little reserves to be able to deal with big upsets if i had some sort of rejection even if it was a work-based one i would kind of take it quite hard and uh it would make my mood swing quite low and um so yeah for, for, for those of you who who are thinking about trying anything like this i'm happy to talk more about it but uh it's just to give you an idea of what i'm going to be going through up until march next year and i'm pretty sure i should be able to uh maintain it because thus far it's pretty damn good uh now a little bit bonus round at the end of the podcast i think if you uh missed all your csgo this uh week and you're looking for some good stuff to dig your teeth into but you can't be bothered to sit through a bunch of demos here's one round i think you should watch it was vitality versus rogue it was part of dream hack atlanta it was map two it was on overpass and it was round five pardon me and there's a little round where Apex here does a trick on the B-bomb site. It's just him in a 1v1 and he plants the bomb in a very sneaky way. So I would check that out if I were you, especially if you're uh, currently playing a lot of CSGO because it's a fun trick to do on the B-bomb site on Overpass. That's round five, Vitality versus Rogue, map two, Overpass. And so here ends the podcast. I'm not going to talk about the rumors of a survival mode, which is coming to CS until we get some more confirmation about it, but look out for that in the future. And if you enjoyed the podcast, let me know on Twitter, at the truth CSGO or via email, the truth at the truth CSGO. You can also spread the word by sharing it on your social media or leaving reviews on iTunes. We also have a Discord. The address is on the Twitter page. The aim is for a little community of friendly CSGO people to connect. You can discuss the podcast, make suggestions for episodes, ask me questions, or find other nice people to play CSGO with. The news in this episode was compiled by Josh, as was the audio for the Player of the Week. The music was by Beaufort, as was the music in the Player of the Week. Except for this final piece of music, which I'm going to leave you with, which is dedicated to everyone who listened to the last episode and was affected by it. And for those for whom some of what was discussed hit home a little too hard. Now, my Aussie listeners would know this band, but for those who don't, this is the legendary Whitlam's singing a song that the lead singer wrote about their bass player who was addicted to perker machines at the time and later sadly committed suicide until next time enjoy the game there was the stage two red lights and a dodgy pa you trod the planks way back then 
And it's strange that you're here again, here again. And I wish I, wish I knew the right words to make you feel better. Walk out of this place and defeat them in your secret Lots of little victories take on the pain It takes so long to earn You can double up or you can burn You can burn And I wish I, wish I knew the right words To make you feel better Walk out of this place And defeat them in your secret